Welcome to episode 12 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm JC, and I am out of practice. It's been a while since we did this, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you 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 got, I don't know if you were talking about it, you got over the, the I got, Rona. Yep. I got over my mutation. <laughs> Triple vax, so pretty unscathed. Yep. Yep. I'm waiting for you to just transit. Oh, okay. I'm waiting for the drag race to stop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm Rod. You can check me out on YouTube. Rod Kim. <laughs> Cyclops is waiting for me as our weekly podcast series, where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men, the animated series, and their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming to Disney Plus in 2023. And is this a, is this a new season? Do we do seasons? Because this is a new season for the series. This is a new season for, for them, and I... Sure. Yeah, this is season two. Okay. Yeah, let's hey, go welcome to season two. <laughs> yeah, welcome to season two. We made it, guys. Quick reminder is we're a recap show about a series that came out 30 years ago. There will be spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled for you, please pause the podcast, watch the episode, and come back without yelling at us. We will do our best, however, to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes that have not yet been covered. And just for transparency, we are not currently sponsored by Disney or Disney Plus in any way, shape, or form. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Twitter, 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 <laughs> Instagram, and Facebook. And Maybe TikTok. There's a TikTok account. There's technically a TikTok account. I don't account. know if anybody's using it. I'm trying this thing out where we post the teasers there. So far, literally zero views. But if you want to, try it. See if we're still doing it by the time this is released. Well, now you have to. You have to at least <laughs> you have to at least go one week after this episode. Okay, we'll do one more week. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, we record these episodes in batches right now, as we've just mentioned. So if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, we may be a few weeks behind. I don't think there's updates as far as I know. The biggest update is that the X-Men, the animated series, Jean Grey from Hasbro went live for pre-sale. Oh, cool. Yeah. I Did I see something about a petition to fix her head model? It is not a good sculpt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the petition. It is not a good sculpt. I have pre-ordered it. <laughs> oh, that's why they know we're going to do it anyway. Yep. Just capitalizing off the nostalgia. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about season two, episodes one and two, titled Till Death Do Us Part. They aired on October 23rd and October 30th of 1993, and they sit at an 8.0 and an 8.1 star rating on IMDb, respectively. This was a doozy. So we were talking off mic about how if there was an X-Men telenovela, this would be a heavy inspiration for it. We'll see more. It just keeps escalating. But maybe that's also good writing. I, I remember Days of Future Past being this dramatic, but it wasn't. And this is definitely living up to the, the drama. <laughs> so we, we open up kind of out of the blue, but maybe it's just because we've had so many to be continued that now we're not like just continuing. This the is moment. the start of a new season, yeah. Rod. Oh, yeah, that's right. New season. Because we left off with Mr. Sinister or who we, you know, like... Well, I guess we don't know that yet. But I mean, we you you, you knew know, it was you, sinister. Watching the screen and some screen wherever he's at, and then it cuts to this. But it opens up with Wolverine in a tux, so they're just like, let's just confuse everybody. And then he's getting shot at by Cyclops. 
and everything's which, like a fever dream. Which we all kind of could see happening regardless. At Cyclops think, is just such a dick. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I think it was the tux that threw me off. It was like, oh, this is There's one, that one extra detail that doesn't make sense. At the so moment. the thing that stood out to me about the tux is the purple. And it's <laughs> such a very specific thing. So if you look at the classic miniseries Wolverine, it was a four issue miniseries that Frank Miller of Sin City fame. The costume on that had a purple hue to it. Okay. Because it wasn't just his like classic, like, you know, the the yellow and blue or mm. the brownish orange combination. It just has like a purple tint. And I didn't know if that was a reference or just purely coincidental. Oh, interesting. I'm okay. probably reaching, but yeah. that did stand out to me. Then we cut over to Gene and Scott's wedding. Yep. Storm is the maid of honor, which I thought was really sweet. Well, Gene only has like six friends. Right. So. <laughs> She's banging one of them. <laughs> and then... <laughs> God damn it, Rod. <laughs> we figure out that Wolverine is actually in the danger room instead of the wedding. Yep, this we do. healthy coping, right? <laughs> yep, also, there's the, the fight. You realize there's a giant Sentinel-Cyclops hybrid, which, why was that something that was programmed? I was wondering, We I don't know if we ever get an explanation of how the danger room, like, really works, and if this is, like, a manifestation of, like, you can set, like, worst fears mode or something. Mm. Or if Wolverine is a programmer or something, he's like put in a Cyclops Sentinel. <laughs> so the the funny thing is outside of the world of just exclusively the X-Men, eventually in the comics, you hit what's called the secret invasion. And that is where you find out a bunch of heroes and villains have been replaced by Skrulls. But one of the weapons that comes out of that are Skrulls that are hybrids of multiple people's power sets. Oh, wow. So you may have somebody who's like half, Captain America half Cyclops and like the visual of it reminded me very much of of, of that where it's like okay. a Cyclops Sentinel hybrid. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if years later the artists who were working on that had a little bit of inspo coming from this animated episode because up until this point, I don't really remember like amalgams of characters in the comics. So it was kind of a cool, cool scenario yeah. aside from the character Super Adaptoid who we'll get to later. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. I, oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, yeah. I got confused for a second. So I, I, it made me realize, like, oh, well, if it wasn't for the danger room, it, it does make me question why, like, the people making the Sentinels didn't like copy some of the mutant powers because laser eyes sounds like a super useful thing for. Well, a they Sentinel. have laser palms. They got like yeah. Tony Stark, like <laughs> pew pews. So, but then they can have eyes and hands to pew pew. I mean, eventually you can only put so many lasers into something before it becomes inefficient. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then back to the, the, the wedding. wedding. Yep. Yeah. And Gambit is still being a little creepy. Yep. Gambit. Gambit being creepy is just the consistent theme. And he, he goes over and he makes sure to say that, you know, where I'm from, we always kiss the bride and the bridesmaids. And it's like, yeah. Oh, okay. And did, well, didn't did he say that? He said that to the Gene and then Rogue, right? And Rogue does her usual thing. She's like, not here or ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the, pa the reverend walks up to Gene and Scott and he's like, super sus. Yeah, he's really, really creepy. And then that's because we realize as he leaves and he gets out of eye shot of, of Scott. God, that just sounds like I was trying for a pun there. And I swear to God, <laughs> see? I wasn't. You see, yeah, you, you see that the reverend is actually Morph, who this is the first time we ever reveal that Morph is apparently still alive. And my notes, it says it's Morph in all caps and then dun, dun, dun. See, dramatic dun, dun. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for having notes. I'm not even going to give you a hard time for it. That, that was such, such a cool thing, especially as a kid, because this is like almost like a year later, I think, 
since we first saw Morph die, you know? Or- so this was October 23rd, and then we saw Morph die. I didn't write that down. <laughs> Go into the book. It literally was just shy of a year. So wow. you had October 31st of 1992. Oh, that's so right. We talked about that. 51 video. weeks to wow. the day. Yeah. And in kid years, that was 10 years later. Yeah, kid years. <laughs> so we saw we saw Morph and he was still alive. I, I want to believe besides having the action figures at home, we probably forgot about him. Like even I a. never even had a Morph action figure. We only had him because my brother was looking for him because we wanted him because he was so rare. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing he was he was either rare because they figured kids would want it, or since they killed him off so early, like why make a figure super available? <laughs> well, the whole mentality is like you know you have a case of action figures like He Man or something mm-hmm. like that, and there's there's a He Man in every set. That mm-hmm. was our Wolverine essentially, uh, yeah. and then it's like well we can't just have a box that's only. Wolverine, so we mm-hmm. need to fill in other stuff. So out of our case of 12, we'll throw one morph in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it, we cut away to Senator Kelly that's Who, now getting sworn in as President Kelly. Yep. Robert Jefferson Kelly, which very <laughs> much had a John F. Kennedy vibe to me. Yeah. Yep. And we watch someone who I don't think we see getting named trying to dressing up as a fake mutant. You see like a, a claw glove. Yeah, you don't you don't have a named individual, but it is very reminiscent of the look of Sabretooth from the attack in season one, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it it seems like they're trying to recreate Sabretooth's attack on like another hearing uh, on Beast hearing in the first season, but just by cosmetics, like he just looks the part. It's 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 like the X Men Amian series, like very like surface level prejudice. Yeah, absolutely going on. Yep. And then we we jump back. There's a, there's lots of quick cuts in these lots episodes. Of, yeah. And you have Jean readying to toss the bouquet, and of course, <laughs> Jubilee is like all about it and like gonna <laughs> get it. And Rogue is like, "You're too young for this. What do you know? You're, you're not even dating anybody right now, basically." Says the woman who literally can't touch. Yeah, anyone. can't touch anybody. <laughs> but luckily for for Beast, he he catches it. Yeah, by unknowingly. Accident. Yeah. You were just at a wedding. Do they still do this? Did they do this at the wedding I was at? That might be answering my question. <laughs> I was drinking a lot at that oh. wedding, Rod. Well, I, I feel like... It, so, I had this huge wedding phase in my like early and mid-20s. Yeah. Like, with all my friends were getting married. So many to the point where I had just bought a tux and just rented whatever cummerbund color they needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was such a huge deal. Like that, like the garter thing. Like all I don't... Traditions. We definitely didn't do a garter toss. Mm-hmm. I know that. But I... Like I said, I was drinking a lot. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I I remember thinking like the it, it, obviously we're in evolving times now with traditions and stuff. But even at the time, thinking like does does every single female in this room want to get married? Because they they kind of force them. From what I remember, the last like heavy set of weddings I was at. Oh yeah, they would be like, you got to get out there, and no matter how much someone didn't want to, you still like push that poor girl out on the floor. Yeah, and you would also get like the really obnoxious <laughs> wedding DJs who would like almost essentially bully people into it. Yeah, yeah. that was a thing. Anyway, tradition. it was a very big thing in the 90s, though, yes. when this was done. It cuts again back to President Kelly, and he makes sure to give a presidential pardon to Henry McCoy, giving yes. giving Beast a, you know, a more human aspect by calling him by a proper name as opposed to a mutant code name or anything like that. You see that somebody has a Friends of Humanity pin yeah. on that, and that's where that disguised mutant, quote unquote, that you were talking about, attacks. It, I, I, I'm sure we're not supposed to think about that this character too much. It's just the the superhero like fan kid in me is just like has so many questions about like if he's not a mutant then how does he how is he so strong (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, there's so many things, but but he doesn't he doesn't do anything that is beyond what a very strong human could do. Like you just need yeah. kind of like the bigoted version of a pro wrestler sized <laughs> individual to do that. Like yeah. he didn't do anything that was inherently like super powered. He's just a big dude causing chaos. And I don't think they meant to do this either, but it's also subtext for a greater argument, which we won't go into here because I know we don't usually talk about like controversial stuff, but you can probably read into it if you know who I am <laughs> with the, or where I stand on things or where we stand on things. But it's an interesting commentary on like, yeah, we can really boil it down. The person didn't do anything that different. They just looked different. Oh. But it was enough. It was enough for the press. And, and then we see Creed, who that name stands out if you know anything about characters within the X-Men universe. I couldn't remember where I remember Creed from. Well, it's not Rocky. And the reveal within the show hasn't fully happened yet, so we don't need to dive into that and spoil it for people. I... I'm just going to be really transparent. I'm getting very confused with like middle-aged white guys and sunglasses in this show. There are lots of them. It's because it was like, I thought it was Trask to be nope. honest at the beginning. And nope. then he said Creed and I had to go back and edit my notes. Nope. Again, I'm so proud of you for having notes. <laughs> it's mainly the way he's animated. Yep. Just put it that way. There's, there's more commentary about that coming up. Yeah. So then uh, go back to the danger room and Gene enters and sees Wolverine who is totally like yeah. just totally jacked up not recovering it's like he's given up on life at this point <laughs> and i, I you kind of want to get into gene's head about like her going to look for him during her own wedding and, and i don't know it was a really sad scene let's put it that way <laughs> and then there's another like i have to go moment i was gonna say once again the note said she almost said the podcast title yeah again. she almost said the podcast title it's like that. It was unspoken. Yeah. Just under her breath. <laughs> and we cut back to, uh, not back, we cut to maybe like a hotel room or something with Morph. Yep. Looks and like he, a pretty shitty hotel room. Yeah. And he's exhibiting either like DID or like a mental break or something in a hotel room. He's, he's basically fighting with himself. But yeah. Like a, a not good mental sim- state. Simplest version would be just kind of like a visual representation of a split personality. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's very much like split. Like, yeah. except he's actually physically changing his his face as it's happening yes. too. There's there's a version of Morph where he's tortured and and, and scared and, and then there's the darker aspects of it, which you can tell because his face kind of like looks a little more gaunt and has like really heavy bags under his eyes. And <laughs> I like I did like how the bags under his eyes were the signal of what which Morph we're getting. Yeah. And then there's a flashback to when he was hurt and and we find out he wasn't killed and you see a shadow of an individual kind of going over to his knocked out body. And the silhouette to anybody that knows the character is like very clearly sinister because it's his like weird cape thing that's not capes. It's t- I think it's still <laughs> technically considered a cape, even yeah. though even though it's a disconnected cape. Yeah. And I'm making visualizations <laughs> with my hands right now, which don't work on a podcast. But yes, no, it's definitely it's a sinister's silhouette. And then we jump over and there are attacks on mutants. We see this one mutant who it looks kind of like a ape slash Sasquatch looking guy. It's funny because my notes said they're attacking a nerdy mutant. Yeah. Who is a minor mutant. His name is Mole, just makes sense, to be yeah. aware. And then we also see two of the Morlocks, who we actually do know from season one. You had Ape and Tommy, who are retreating, and they, like, jump down into the sewers and stuff like they that. They have, like, these rough, like, shape-shifting abilities. Yep, and then you see there is a store that gets attacked. I'm assuming there's some sort of assumption from the Friends of Humanity that the store sells to mutants, and that's why it's being attacked and, yeah. and such. And there's a little bit of a conversation of, like, well, why is this happening? And it's explained, well, 
Senator Kelly has kind of changed his stance. So all the people who had those bigoted views feel betrayed by him. Oh, and yes. now they need a scapegoat to take it out on these innocent mutants and store owners, etc. The one thing I did want to point out here is remember how when we were talking about the bar in season one, I said there was something about the symbol that those the bartender and the people who were fighting in the bar, those were Friends of Humanity logos on the bartender. I thought they looked familiar. Yep. Yeah. So we had the seeds of a potentially bigoted group that had just not been formalized and, and brought out. But if you look back, it's like, oh, that explains why the people in that bar were so uneasy with the mutants playing in their bar. Is that name Friends of Humanity from the comics or is it something new to the show? Do you know? Let us look to see when that happened because <laughs> Friends of Humanity is definitely a part of the comics, but let's look to see when it was introduced. I mainly wonder because it's a really good parody of what it's like in the real world of like co-opting a term that is typically very positive for something that's kind of bigoted, you know? Yep. So having the word humanity in it is, it's it's making it sound like something that's more innocent than it really is. Because like, even, even just the acronym, the FOH and stuff, it sounds like a homeowner's organization or something like that, right? Yep. And stuff, but when you actually meet the people, like you see like how shitty they are. Yep. And off of just a quick search, I don't want to go too, too into it while mm -hmm. we're actually recording, but I do see references as early as 1992. So it did exist prior mm -hmm. to the show itself being okay. written. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a, it's just a great example because it is also heavily implies that mutants aren't humans, which I think is, you know, well, not think I know is, you know, we all know is one of the, the main differences between mutants and humans, like whole conflict throughout the series. Yep. The, there was a great phrase that I heard Storm say where we must fight to stop hate. And it's, it's really interesting because it's like, in, in theory, it's the, well, how can you combat violence with violence? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, well, if you just let people get away with violence, they're going to continue to mm -hmm. hit you with it. It's a little bit of a Magneto aspect of it. I said it the too. same thing. I was like, she's starting to sound a little like Magneto. I mean, or, she's not going as far as saying Magneto was right. Yeah. But yeah. Or she's also seeing how whenever they let everybody go, when they do something bad, it's not working out for them. They should detain these people at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us on social media to see the clips where we discuss that. There is a private video line that comes in. <laughs> Which, it, nowadays would mean something totally different. I love that line. Professor X was like, I'm getting a private video call. Like, are you? <laughs> Most people would just say FaceTime, Professor, but yeah. you know. And it is Magneto. There's like static and, and fire and sends coordinates to a spot in Antarctica. And, you know, basically like leaves him hanging. And mm -hmm. you see that it's morphed in front of a green screen, which props to them for having that good of a green screen. Right, he's a he's a Twitch streamer. Yeah, cut to, there's a bar that has Wolverine, Gambit, and Beast, and mm -hmm. they get attacked. Yeah, yeah, for playing pool. Yep, they are playing pool, and it, people, you know, people don't want them playing pool, apparently. Friends of Humanity are not as friendly as, as their name would make it sound, as Rod has pointed out. And as they are defending themselves, you realize that Creed has a cameraman on them the entire time, mm -hmm. and he's making sure to get everything on film. Obviously, you know, you, you know that it's going to be used against them at that point. He's, Seeing Beast holding a holding a gun and such, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you can see, you see that it looks like they imply that Creed set up the moments like where the guy was going to brandish the gun so the beast would take it and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Wolverine slashing through the roof of a, of a car. Mm -hmm. Again, all things that 
edited out of context, leave the X-Men in a, in a very precarious situation. Yeah. There's just like a, a very s- small kind of like sidebar to that whole situation without getting too much into it. In like the real life peril, just as a guy, if for some reason somebody does, if anybody doesn't know Rod Kim, like I'm Korean American. So this concept is, it's a little bit triggering because there's a whole thing of like only seeing the end product. So obviously these three were provoked, like they were attacked and then the footage gets edited together that makes it look like they were the aggressors and stuff. Yeah. Something similar. Very propaganda-esque. Yeah. yeah. So something similar kind of happened in, in real life. Nothing big that anybody would know about, just something in my circles and stuff. And I'd mentioned to uh, a, a friend who I know is genuinely a good person, just not as maybe experienced in things outside of like smaller situations. And I mentioned like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, minor spoiler if you haven't seen Get Out yet. Have you seen Get Out? No. Do you care? No, go okay. for it. Skip about three minutes right now if you want to not have anything from Get Out spoiled for you. It's kind of like the end of Get Out, right? And he was like, how so? I was like, well, the entire movie, the, these black characters are getting tortured and it's always like like unimaginable horror and stuff. And the end of the movie shows him finally clawing his way out of this bad situation. And the cops roll up and all they see is a black man choking out a white woman. And they're like, see? see and that's what the media sees and stuff but they didn't see the last like week of him being tortured his brains literally getting cut out of his head and stuff like that and this friend i was talking to was like you know it's always so interesting to hear perspective on things that you see it that way i was like i feel like that was a very clear (laughs) parallel but if so i say that just so if you're one of the people that's watching this episode it feels a little bit too clear to have been by accident i feel like the lee walds or whoever wrote this episode wanted to represent this kind of like misrepresentation ironically clearly in this because it it felt pretty close to home in the sense of like with any marginalized group when you see the craziness that happens at the end you don't know what led up to that and stuff and how much shit that had to be dealt with to that point and stuff so just a small sidebar on that i thought it was really cool to have that kind of shown in this like yeah that's unfair it's like okay now take that feeling you have watching the show and see how it plays out in real life. So Professor X left a video message saying that Storm's in charge now because Scott and Gene are on their honeymoon and Professor X has left on some unspoken mission. Yeah, he says he has a a personal matter to attend to and I do appreciate that he put Storm in charge because he was actually worried that Scott was going to fight people from thousands of miles away. Not the real reason, but yeah. in my head canon, it's the real reason. Probably he's like, he's just going to yell at people. He's going to yell at everybody, <laughs> it, even on his honeymoon. We have to give Gene a little bit of time off. That poor woman. Yeah. And as that is happening, Morph is, is there. Wolverine's Jeep comes in and Morph makes the comment, even Wolverine's Jeep sounds angry. I, I definitely remember that from a kid. I was like, that was really funny. I didn't write down the exact setup of it, but I do want to point out there is an SNL reference there of making copies from Morph and Rod, who is actually older than me, doesn't get the reference. I don't remember it, but also I don't remember literally earlier today. That's true. That's when I just watched these episodes. But that's great that those references are in there because very of the time, but also kind of can fly under the radar. And, and I want to say the Making Copies character, which was Rob Schneider, before he did horrible, horrible movies like The Animal and any other piece of crap that Rod Schneider was in, <laughs> came out in like 91. So mm-hmm. it was actually super timely at that point. Yeah. Nobody today remembers that except for people who were like, you know, at least 
10, 15 years old at that point. Yeah, so. he, he kind of made a legacy for himself as like Adam Sandler's sidekick, didn't he? And making shitty movies by himself. Yeah. Yeah, so then we get to a bunch of very quick, very jumpy scenes back and forth. So I, just a transparency, John watches these in like a normal order, like sometimes days ahead or whatever. Yeah, and I actually watched this one about 10 days before the recording since I was sick last week. <laughs> yeah. I have such a short memory for circumstances and situations and stories. I watch these as close to recording as possible. And I don't know if you even know this. I don't listen to music or consume any other media in between. Um, just because I don't know what I'm going to forget. And this one is not convolute is not, not the right word, but it's definitely, this is the telenovela part we're talking about. I went back and watched this section several times so I could take very detailed notes. So I actually remember this fairly clearly as clearly as I can remember it. Fairly clearly while holding notes in front of our faces. (laughs) So we start off strap in. This is a ride. We start off with Morph walking down the hallway in the mansion somewhere. He poses as Wolverine, and he bumps into Rogue. Finds out that she's getting ready to take a nap in the rec room. So he then turns into Rogue after she's out of sight. Which, pause, everybody here has bedrooms. Why would you go take a nap in the living room? (laughs) The rec room, specifically. So she can wake up and play pool, right? I mean, apparently they've (laughs) rebuilt it after it got wrecked last time. Yeah, every week. Yeah. And... Is the, the I don't know what we're gonna call it, like morph Wolverine. Oh, no, Morpherine. So then Morph Rogue. Yep, walks into the war room. I believe that's what it looks like in the background. Yeah, that's that's the war room. Yeah. Let's, the the <laughs> central room where all the cerebro crap happens. Let's yeah. call that one war room because I don't think they've they've ever actually had. Yeah, yeah they've called it war room. It's they war called room. a war room. I just don't know because it's it war seem, room. It seems to change locations in the house. Yeah, we're not going to worry. About, <laughs> we're not going to worry about architecture. So Morph Rogue walks into Jubilee and Gambit looking at something in the war room, and kind of gives Gambit the uh, "I'm ready" eye, and tells Jubilee to kind of you know kick rocks, yes, yeah, skedaddle and stuff. And she's like, "No, I want to stay." And then Gambit catches wind of like what's going on. He's like, "You should, you should go." And so she, you know, begrudgingly leaves. As she walks out the door, she, like, destroys a part of the door. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, you're really not showing that much restraint on your powers, are you, Jubilee? Right. And then she's like, oops, maybe nobody will notice. Yeah, she's literally <laughs> destroyed a part of a door. And she's the one with explosive powers aside from Gambit. Yeah. And then Gambit totally believes it's rogue. To his credit, there's no reason besides her acting a little weird that is not her and well he thinks he's finally worn her down to the point where she's gonna make out with him he's he he's like he's like you know what sure which is a great motivation to start a relationship (laughs) and so gambit falls for it and morph rogue tells gambit to go to the rec room in a minute so they can get it on and that was not her phrasing for the record that that's that's rod's interpretation they, uh, did not, you, they did not say get it on in a Saturday morning cartoon. She said something that like any any anybody past puberty like gets like what that signal is. I'm pretty like, sure she said room. stuff that people even pre-puberty would get. <laughs> and as soon as Gambit leaves, Morph turns into a storm and then he runs into Jubilee and tells her to go to the mutant halfway house to go rescue somebody. And Jubilee is just so excited to do something. She goes to the address that Storm had just written on a piece of paper because, once again, before cell phones, GPS, whatever. Yeah, specifically calling it a mutant halfway house with just an address. In- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No research. Then we 
cut back. I believe she says, take my place, because she was going to go yes. there. And she says, yeah, you need to take my place and go there. So Jubilee's like, oh, I'm not a little kid. They want me out of the room as they're going to talk about adult stuff. Yeah. Oh, the adult wants me to be the leader, so I'm going for it. Yeah, so she she goes yep. there, and then we cut back to the rec room where yep. Rogue is sleeping, and this is already not having good vibes. And all, it actually gets sexually assaulted by Gambit. It's kind of hard to sugarcoat that. <laughs> It's such a weird it's such a weird thing because I don't want to say it's assault because in his mind she said to do it. Yeah. So to his credit, he does believe it's yeah. consent because the last thing was yes, let's go yeah. for it. He believes it's consent. Rogue wakes up to being kissed while she was unconscious by Gambit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it's, it's not it's not in intentional <laughs> but it's really problematic and to be fair he does get the life sucked out of him by doing it yeah and then rogue just kind of like accidentally starts charging things around her by touching them which is great <laughs> which is now that i think about it this isn't even in my notes is kind of the opposite of what she does I'm not not necessarily life force but instead of like being careful of absorbing things she's now just, she's like, just expelling things. shit up yeah <laughs> then we catch up with jubilee and she goes to what she thinks is a mutant halfway house. Which is a veterans club. Yeah, which was some for some reason not a red flag to her. Like, this is not what she said it was. She is a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> she is a shitty teenager. And she opens the door and we find out this is just like a meeting place for the friends of humanity. So that's already no, no good news for Jubilee. We're back at the mansion. Yep. And Rogue is carrying a knocked out gambit to Storm. And just keeps accidentally charging things around the room. And just drops them in the center of the war room <laughs> on what is not a table. Like, it's it's like a... It's like a hollow thing, It's a right? console. It's yeah. not a table that you would put somebody on top of. Yeah. They have a med bay. They literally have a med bay. I love that. Yeah, so that, that makes it funnier. Rogue is like, let's not take him to the med bay. Let's just, like... We're, oh, I don't even know if she knew Storm was there. She's like, let's just go here. It's... <laughs> It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so this is actually the real Storm and the real Rogue. Yes. And they're starting to feel that things are weird because stuff isn't adding up, which, fair. So far, of all the things that are convoluted in anything in the series or this episode, this part kind of makes sense. Like, this feels like a natural point where people are like, what's going on? Like, things are a little weird. They find out that there is an attack going on at a mutant center, mm -hmm. and Storm says that we need to we need to go and help these people. Morph as Beast says, I will be right after you, which I, I'm shocked they didn't just wait a few minutes for him. Yeah. But they decide to to go on ahead. You know, there are two people who are able to fly and go very fast, go ahead mm -hmm. of, of Beast. And Morph is Beast in the control center of the danger room while real Beast is in the danger part of the danger room. <laughs> the danger part of the danger room. Yeah. Yep, I dig it. In the danger room, real Beast is unaware of everything that's going on and Morph just sets the parameters to fuck him up mode. Yeah. Yeah, they basically turn it up to 11. <laughs> so Storm and Rogue go to fight that battle and Storm sends Rogue away because she thinks Beast is following right after them. I did appreciate at the, uh, the mutant community center, I believe it was. It was community center or counseling center, which I, whatever the actual mutant center mm -hmm. that they went to, they throw a grenade. When they throw the grenade, it explodes the way a Molotov cocktail does, oh, as opposed to actually blowing up like a grenade. Oh, nice. Yeah, all the, the weapons. The weapon this, tech is very cartoon. In upcoming episodes, we'll 
talk more about like tanks and stuff and they have the same thing as laser beams and energy so in the middle of the fight storm is just trying to defend herself and the you know innocent people around there in the process of that she creates some ice on the ground and when the police roll up they all skid off yep and morph is there he's caught up at some point yep and he sees that the police captain or chief has been part of that car wreck and then he turns into him and tells all the remaining officers to shoot at Storm like full blast. Whether or not the cops are pro-mutant or anti-mutant, there is still a violent act going yeah. <laughs> on. So the cops are there to break it up, probably focusing on the Friends of Humanity who are attacking the Mutant Center at that mm-hmm. point. But then when their captain comes out, they kind of just follow orders and it's like, oh, this mutant who messed up our chief's car, so mm-hmm. we need to we need to stop them. Yeah, because I, 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 to their credit, I think they actually did say like, but if we do full energy, it's gonna kill her because it, apparently they maybe had to like stun or something. Yeah, because like you said, like they weren't out for blood. I don't think. No, it seemed that way. And when they they fire at her, they hit her and knocks her out. For once, yep, a flying person in this show falls and doesn't get caught. She just hits the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I. Before we hop into a part two of mm-hmm. the episode, I did think it was really a Joker vibe from morph as he's watching everything hit the fan i very much got like not the clown prince of crime joker but the chaotic joker yeah yeah. like a little bit of you know the the there's there are three jokers within the comics there in the heath ledger joker the anarchist Mm -hmm. i very much got that vibe from how morph was acting Again, we had gotcha. a dark bag. <laughs> yeah, that's um, how you know it's evil morph. Yeah, it's evil morph. Very much had a chaotic Joker vibe to him for me. You know who did have the Prince of Crime Joker vibe, though, was Mr. Sinister, because it reveals that he's been watching this all along from whatever random camera's been showing all this. I think, actually, to his credit, I think this might actually been a news report. It definitely implied that we were watching some news footage of it, but also implied that the whole thing has been monitored by him. So I don't know. At least the end part was the news. Dude has CCTV (laughs) camera access. And then to be continued. Early hacker. So jumping right back in to part two, starts out where we're landing on this little like private seaplane. And then there's this nice boat. And it's Gene and Scott being like all lovey-dovey and happy married couple. Yeah, it's disgusting. (laughs) It's only disgusting because you hate Scott. (laughs) If you liked Scott, this would be awesome for them. Yeah, I actually feel sorry for Gene. Because she's dating Scott? Yeah, because there's there's very few, besides him being like traditionally attractive, there's very few redeeming qualities. He's like mad and yelling at people all the time. Like he's never emotionally available. He's always busy with leadership things. He's working all, I don't know. It, and she can literally read his mind, so that can't be a happy place. <laughs> this version of Gene, to be fair, is a more mature adult version of Gene. So she has control over her powers, so mm-hmm. she is not... She's not unintentionally reading Scott's mind. Yeah, she's she's respecting his privacy and yeah. things like that. But she has that access. She has the access, <laughs> but that doesn't mean she's going to take it. We'll assume she does, and that makes me feel a little bit better about yeah, it. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's not invading people's minds like she's Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> and then we jump back to the to the school and beast is in the danger room still danger room still trying to kill him from our, <laughs> our last episode. And he he outsmarts it. He does what you would imagine beast would do he uses the momentum of one attack to whack the door door gets knocked out he's able to get out of there Mm -hmm. fairly unscathed i actually think that was just a hole in the wall which has already been a reoccurring theme and continues as we'll see continues to be the primary way for people to exit rooms in this show (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I will, I, yeah, I will absolutely concede that. Morph is back at the school again. So obviously in his brief moments as a police officer, he's made his way back to the school and we're seeing Morph conflicted a little bit. And that's where Sinister pops up and you know he's like, well, aren't you committed to, to what we're doing? And he, he wants to make sure that Morph doesn't fully turn against him. And he uses the phrase like, uh, you know, friends don't betray friends as yeah. a way to remind Morph that, you know, Morph, you were betrayed because they left you to die. Yeah. And at this point, it's heavily implied that Morph is the one that sent Gene and Scott on this particular destination for their honeymoon somehow. I don't think they actually explain how, but he he basically says like, oh, and they don't really know where they're going, you know? Yep. And Sinister specifies that, you know, Morph can do whatever he wants to to, to the X-Men, but specifically Cyclops and Gene are his. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the island and catch up with Cyclops and Jean. And they're on the boat. Yeah. Your little, favorite. Yeah. <laughs> they're, on the, they're on the boat and they're met with this screaming mutant. Who, whose name is Ruckus. Yeah. Yep. Which makes sense. Off mic, we were sorting out because I had questions about who was who in this because there's so many characters throwing us at once. And not all of them are called out by name, to be yeah. fair. So this, this group of mutants that are attacking are called the Nasty Boys, and they were, one, a professional wrestling tag team. But in the show, the Nasty Boys are a group of mutants that report to Mr. Sinister. Wait, is the wrestling team named after the X-Men thing, or is it totally independent of each Probably other? Probably independent. Okay, that's yeah. great. Yep. So you have Ruckus, who is just like kind of this slightly flamboyant character. He mm-hmm. has like flowing pink hair, and from the rocks, he screams at the boat <laughs> and just totally fucks it up because yeah, he does some gymnastics on the over yep. the rocks too <laughs> yep, yep yep and then we start to see the other nasty boys so you have this really hulking like just kind of pale like ogre looking mutant i said uh, the big thin eyebrow guy big thin eyebrow guy so that that is slab <laughs> and then we also have a black tar-esque mutant with pinkish hair that is named gorgeous george that's hilarious yep because uh, very similar to ruckus for a little bit, I thought that they might have messed up animation. No. Because they both like had like the similar like, hair length and everything. No. Yeah, no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm rolling my eyes at Rod right now. And then you have a mutant who has a very animalistic bear-like features. Mm-hmm. And his name is a hairbag. <laughs> Just running out of ideas at this point. I mean, dude, the, the, the 70s and 80s were a weird spot. <laughs> yeah. So Gorgeous George puts collars on Gene and Scott. Yep. And... And we, we know that those are the, probably the collars from, from Genosha. Yeah, he says something to the effect of, like, these are out of style there now. Also, that island probably doesn't exist anymore in the fat, the way it was before, just because of how things went down. It, it, I think it exploded, right? Well, no, the Sunfire and, and the other mutants basically are like, we're taking this over. Yeah. And then we don't address it. Yeah, so... There we are. And then Sinister formally introduces himself. He's out from the shadows. So yeah, we get Sinister in the big reveal. Was this the first time you had seen Sinister as a kid? Or do you think you were one of the people who saw him first as a toy? And then... I am willing to bet I saw him as a toy first. I want to say the toy had a really crappy like action feature. Like I want to say it was just the red gem in his chest lit up or something really lame like that by comparison to most of the other characters. If I remember right, I think it was the other thing in his chest and maybe his eyes were connected. Maybe. And they lit up together. I think my brother had that one. One of us had that action figure. And the reason I think I saw the toy first is because I don't remember any story. Sometimes I remember going out and buying action figures like Storm, like, oh, she controls the weather, that's cool. I'm pretty sure that I remember getting the action figure because, like, that looks cool. Right. Because his design, you know, whatever, it's just a, 
it's a cool comic book design. Yeah. So I didn't even know what he did. Actually, to this day, I'm not completely clear on what he does. <laughs> he is a mutant geneticist. I think I remember that now in hindsight that you yes. mentioned that. But yep. also just like what his like power set and everything. They're very, it's kind of like apocalypse, like pretty vague, and broad. Right. And, and he has he has augmented his his powers too because mm-hmm. of messing with genetics as well like vampire teeth i mean that doesn't necessarily mean he's augmented those those may he have just, been there he just filed them down. yeah he, he just might have a really good dentist but for me i i i transparently knew about him as a character mm-hmm. from the original 1990 or 1991 marvel trading cards Ooh. the white border set i specifically remember because okay. i I had every one of those sets, so I had seen him prior to the series coming out. So was it like a really cool reveal at the end of season one when you saw like the, the screen? It's like I don't think I realized it end of season one, but as soon as I saw the character in season two, mm-hmm. I knew who he was. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, because they're doing a good job now of kind of having like these big bads kind of set up, you know, because like last season it was arguably kind of split between Magneto and Apocalypse. You had the split between Magneto, Apocalypse, and then, of course, the the humans with the Sentinel program. Yeah. Humans are just an underlying kind of foundation noise (laughs) to the series, whatever they're dealing with. Yeah. So at that point, we catch up with Beast and Rogue. For whatever reason, Beast thinks that a trench coat is hiding his figure (laughs) and blue fur. For the public, he even has a hat. So did Raphael yeah. in Ninja Turtle. So did the Thing in comics. It's, it's yeah. I don't know. People don't look up. They don't question trench coats. Yeah, and they notice that the hospital that Storm is in is being guarded by police and security and stuff. So Beast makes some sort of comment like, "Well, that's not going to be easy for like someone who got a pardon, you know." And, and yeah, it's also- not a, it's not a good look for somebody who just got a presidential pardon to yeah. show up where somebody was just taken out by cops. Yeah, kind of thing. and that whole smear campaign happened with him holding the gun and stuff and so rogue says well we'll just have to sneak in and so he does the super low-key thing of scaling up the building without the trench coat on and then rogue flies up and they open a window because that's high security i guess and and storm is unconscious in the hospital bed they figure out that she's in serious condition but she's gonna make it yep and they they waited till that moment to argue Mm-hmm. Like they've been alone for however long before. Yeah, and, and that's they, where and that's where the <laughs> argument takes place because Rogue essentially says to Beast, "Well, why'd you tell us that you were coming mm-hmm. and then you didn't show up?" And then of course Beast is like, "I didn't tell you anything." Yeah, Beast is unaware that there was something in the danger room that was beyond the glitch. Yeah. But this is where it really tips Beast off that something went down. Yeah, so the, now these two are starting to figure out that things are a little fishy. Then we cut over to the Friends of Humanity holding a rally where Creed is kind of leading. It's just as awful as you probably imagine a rally like that could go. Yeah, it's it's pretty obviously bigoted. Yes, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of real-life parallels. We'll just leave it at that. Yep. And he... he Tomorrow belongs to humanity is one of the phrases that like stood out the most to me. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing screams afraid of progress more than Mm -hmm. catchy slogans like that. Yep. And they literally drag Jubilee on stage. Who is a teenager. Again, I was going to say she's a teenager. So once again, bringing up like what I said earlier in this episode about trying to have like a pretty title friends of humanity and then dragging kids on stage. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't help that it is a young Chinese girl. Right. Yeah. Too. <laughs> and she is just, she's confused obviously. Cause we, if we follow like where people's heads are at, 
she all she knew she was going to take Storm's mission to go rescue someone, and then she's captured by this group who I don't think she knows who they are really at the time. It's unclear how much they would know about Friends of Humanity because the name wasn't like plastered all over the attack on President Kelly or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's a, a fairly kind of she's still figuring things out, and so she's almost just more like kind of scared and sad than anything else. Yeah. She's fighting back, but she screams like you know like why why do you hate me so much? Yeah. And Creed gives the the super hateful response of you were born. Yeah. In my yeah. notes just has that quote you were born then oof. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> There wasn't a real-life parallel before. Yep. And, one. and then, luckily for Jubilee, Wolverine jumps in, mm-hmm. has a, a really brief, like, combat exchange, but, you know, barrels through the door and gets her out of there. And still has time to make jokes, because he said something like, do you know how much bubblegum I had to sniff to get here? I'm like, yeah. that isn't dirty inherently, but for whatever reason, that combination of words sounds awful. <laughs> You're a worse human being than I am, Rod, because I didn't even get anything awful out of that. Not one. even that. It was just like a, my my mental, not even like hand in the gutter thing. Just picturing Wolverine in yellow spandex running around sniffing, like New York, sniffing, sniffing gum, gum on like handrails and streets and stuff mm. to find her, <laughs> and specifically the flavor of gum that she likes. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping back to the mansion, Gambit starts to regain consciousness. And he says, well, you know, Rogue, you you told me to go for it. And of course, Rogue denies it, understandably, because she didn't say it. And again, to Gambit's credit, he did not think he was doing something wrong because Gambit specifically says the phrase, Gambit don't go where he's not invited. So a lot of forethought to make that very clear in a show. So that's good on the writers, everybody in charge. So they don't portray to children that like that whole thing should just be forgiven, even if it was a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) This is better than Sleeping Beauty because that dude didn't have permission to go kiss Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. Yeah, there's there's, a lot of early Disney stuff. A lot of early Disney stuff. Where the the story was that a guy kisses an unconscious woman. (laughs) And now Disney owns this. At that point, Professor X returns. Yeah, air quotes. Yep. God damn it, I gotta stop. I just threw a pen. You know what the problem is? I'm not drinking yet, Rod. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, Rod, get people caught up while I okay. go grab a drink. Let's see. Yes, I'm really grabbing a drink. Yeah, so while Beast, Rogue, and Gambit are all trying to figure out what's going on, Professor X, let's get air quotes, Professor X enters the room and starts debriefing them on this supposed that's an apple truly starts just explaining how there's a neural disruptor that's been causing all this confusion yep uh, and good on the x-men for kind of figuring out that something's weird because also put yourself in the shoes of any of those x-men things have already been confusing anyway and then professor X just rolls in out of nowhere and is like oh yes anyway so the neural disruptor like wait 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 so wolverine and jubilee arrive from their side quest at that point Wolverine knows something is up. He says he's smelling its morph. And Professor X's response is, oh, he's he's under control of the neural disruptor. Destroy him. Mm-hmm. And of course, when that happens, Gambit realizes something is up. Then Gambit's like, Professor Xavier wouldn't say that. So he charges up a card like it's going to explode. But... Once again, we haven't fully figured out like what control Gambit has over all these charging things. So it's almost like a dud where it looks like supercharged. It's, just, it's a minor charge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then when it lands on the ground. It just kind of poofs. Yeah, poofs. But it's scared, air quote, Professor Xavier so much that he jumps up to his feet and like kind of runs away a little bit. And everybody's like, hey, so about that. And then 
that Professor Xavier is like, it's a miracle. <laughs> the neural disruptor is confusing you all. Like, if if anybody doesn't know what gaslighting is, this is a pretty good example. Yeah, Xavier reveals that it's actually morph, and then everybody's kind of like in shock, and, mm-hmm. and they have to spread out to seal morph into the building. Yeah, and somehow Wolverine and Jubilee just like teleport to the Blackbird. They got there quicker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of get Wolverine because sure he can be fast or whatever. Jubilee, I don't know. He She rode on his shoulders. Or something. Literally know, just, he, he, <laughs> grabbed, he grabbed her by the collar and dragged her along. And they have a confrontation there because Wolverine is genuinely happy to see more. Before the reveal even happened, when Wolverine just smelled it was more, just went to hug him. Like that was his first reaction back when he, when everybody else thought it was Professor Xavier. And so they they meet up at the Blackbird where Morph is obviously trying to steal it, which not sure how the plan was supposed to go there. We were trying to steal like the biggest vehicle they have on. If you get there first, I'm sure. <laughs> Here's the thing. They haven't changed the codes. Yeah. It's it's still one button ahead start. Yeah. And this was uncharacteristic for Wolverine. He kind of defends Cyclops. <laughs> like he, he's like he's like Cyclops had to leave you behind. And I was like, that was not what you were saying a year ago. <laughs> when, when you guys were all leaving this thing. And then we get the Wolverine versus Wolverine fight. Yeah, Wolf turns into Wolverine and they we're getting that whole Days of Future Past Gambit thing over again. I do like at this point, Jubilee is obviously confused because they start to tussle and she loses track of which one, which is something that I genuinely only believe could happen in comics or movies and etc. I don't think I don't think that that could ever happen in real life aside from like you have two twins, mm-hmm. you would still be able to tell which person is which. But regardless, yeah. Jubilee's a little confused. And she says, I don't know who to hit. And Morph Wolverine says, blast us both. And so she she does, and she hits good Wolverine. And Morph runs on to the Blackbird, steals it. And then you get the moment of, these are definitely Canadian voice actors. <laughs> because she says, sorry, to apologize for shooting Wolverine. She's like, I thought you would have been the one to tell me to shoot both of you. And Wolverine gives the like, well, you live, you learn scenario. Suddenly Wolverine has just become like understanding. He's defending Cyclops. He's okay with being shot. But to Jubilee's credit, that made sense. If there's a mutant that can heal, like, yeah, there's both. Yep. We'll, we'll work it out. No, it was the logic was great. And it just kind of shows how smart Morph was, where Morph didn't do like the stereotypical like chicken shit of, oh no, you have to take him out. Yeah. Take us both out because that makes me sound like a hero. And I shoot the other one instead. Yeah. Yep. And then Morph decides he needs to to go after the one he has the most reason to hate, which is Cyclops. And he knows where Cyclops is. So we get we go back to the island. Gene and Scott are tied up by Mr. Sinister. And he Mr. Sinister reveals he's kind of been monitoring both of them since they were children. Yeah, and you get some flashbacks. You see them as kids. You get them in the original blue and gold outfits. And they're fighting somebody. Rod, do you know who they're fighting in that flashback? This is on brand for me. I can't remember even the mental image. <laughs> it is a green robot with a variety of powers. Oh, no. So I didn't recognize who that was at the time. So that's Super Adaptoid. Okay. And Super Adaptoid is is what the name sounds like, where it is a amalgam of many different powers together. And he's green. The same person who named Unobtainium in Avatar named Super Adaptoid. <laughs> Stan Lee did not name. <laughs> no. I, I believe Adaptoid probably came from the Stan Lee era okay. or at the very least Jack Kirby era. Yeah. Yep. And we see essentially Sinister has been watching the two of them and because they are a mutant couple and he sees the possibilities of the two of them having offspring, he wants to basically hold the 
the master bloodline and having control over it to give birth to the future, which really fucking creepy. Yeah. Also, once again, kind of mirroring real world history. Did you get the sense that he might have been implying that he had also orchestrated their relationship? Or am I reading too much into that? I did not get the impression that he had orchestrated the relationship. That's not to say he couldn't have given nudges for it, Mm -hmm. but I think he more so saw you had two very powerful mutants, one of whom, you know, we 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 find out throughout the course of the comics and the series, Gene is Omega level, which is the most mm-hmm. powerful level of mutant. So if the two of them are able to reproduce, he's going to take advantage of it. Yeah. This scene, I'm actually glad I could talk about now because at the time, at that age, and just from a little bit of my background, I grew up in like a very conservative area of Indiana and I was, you know, not a teenager yet. Mm-hmm. But even I, I was starting to recognize, you know, like sexual innuendo in shows and stuff. And not to say there was particularly that in this, but they were talking about like bloodlines and, and, you know, having children and stuff. So when they had him strapped down to a table and Mr. Sinister's talking about their offspring and stuff, it started to set up the groundwork for like where your head's going. And then he pulls out this tentacle suction cup thing Mm -hmm. and he turns around so that you can't see where it's going. And he's just like, I'm going to take your genetic code or whatever. And he like puts it on Scott somewhere. Genuinely, however old I was at that time, what, eight, nine or ten or something. I was like, that went on his dick, right? No. Like, that's where my head went. That did. That is not where it went, Rod. I, wait, was it supposed to go somewhere like. Like, yeah. Get just like his, on his yeah, arm like blood or, something? or something. It was definitely not going to his dick. I, so like, once again, that just might have been like, because I was a kid and didn't have anybody I talked to about this because I got, would have gotten my ass whooped if I brought this up to anybody yeah. all the time. But well, not, not just this, just like sex questions in general. So I was like, so they want offspring and he has this thing. Okay. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. Tommy at worst. Didn't go for his dick. And then he turns around and if we go along with what I may have been thinking at the time, he turns around and he's like, I have your seed. And he plops out like a bug <laughs> from the tentacle suction cup thing. And I was like, where is this going? Where, Like literally and figuratively, where is this going? Because then he turns around to Gene. He's like, let's do this. This is a weird scene. It's definitely a weird scene, and that is something that is consistent with Sinister. In because it's not just him messing with you know mutant genetics and stuff like that. He's also like bio organic rooms and stuff like that. Like the furniture is alive in this room, so there's mm-hmm. lots of weird stuff going on. Around the same time, we are getting the reveal from Morph to Cyclops that he was actually the priest. So obviously that has implications of hey, you got married, you weren't actually married. That said, even if he did that they still would have had to get a marriage license. So legally they're married, but but not in the eyes of the church they're married. That was definitely like how things seem to kids. Yeah. Thing, because I don't remember that being weird when I was a kid, but now watching as an adult, I was like, yeah, no, they're married. Yeah, they're still legally married. Like the performative part wasn't technically maybe like the most romantic thing you wanted to have. No. But yeah, you would have been like registered a week before that. And then we see Morph starting to have a little bit of his personality issues popping up again. And he doesn't remember Sinister. Sinister basically reminds him through like a mind meld that it's no, no. Remember, I was the one who healed you and brought you back and and I fixed you. It it, it has a very much a Project Tahiti vibe from like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, you know. We don't talk about that piece of shit show. I'm going to admit. It was a guilty pleasure. I enjoyed the show. I certainly enjoyed it more than I did like the DC TV shows. I mean, season one was okay, but. (laughs) It definitely didn't get, 
It definitely uh, didn't get better. It, it didn't get better in the sense of making sense. But once you just were, it's like the original Heroes TV show. Once you strap in to be like, this is whatever it's going to be. <laughs> Time travel, whatever, it's fine. And I'm going to use that point to segue to the fact that Beast, Gambit, Rogue, and Wolverine show up. And that's where we get a fight. Because they're, they're there for the rescue. Yeah. Because they tracked the Blackbird. Because obviously they could track their own giant ship. Yeah. Yep. The, the biggest vehicle that Morph thought would be the one to take. <laughs> I don't think he was really trying. I, I He's not in the right mindset to yeah. actually pull off a good escape. I do like in the flashback where Sinister saves Morph. He says something about his mind being gone. And he puts a literal bug in his head. Yeah. And, and then there they clear up. You, you actually do have two personalities living in your body. It's not just like a traumatic response to something there are two distinctive personalities in morph's head yep so we get the fight between the x-men and the nasty boys there was the great insult that wolverine thinks he has where he calls the the bear-esque mutant who i got a jamaican accent from did you get that yeah i I thought it was yeah it was like a put on jamaican accent where he calls him hairbag and hairbag gives the great response of who told you my name I thought that was fantastic. And then he also reveals he's not just bear-like, he also has really noxious breath as a part of his power set. You also get the come to gorgeous pretty boy because we never actually heard gorgeous George's name. I just know that because I've looked it up obviously, but that's the closest thing we get to the come to gorgeous for him. And essentially they end up taking the X-Men down to an extent. Mm -hmm. It's not a full-fledged defeat, but the X-Men are not looking up at that point. Yeah, it's very similar to like early season one, like them kind of getting caught off guard. Even though they have difficulty, the X-Men still do eventually kind of like at least defeat those guys to a point. And Wolverine goes to the extent of calling those guys the B-team. Yep. <laughs> and then Sinister appears and starts to starts to fight the X-Men. Morph kind of comes to and he's behind. It's hard to get the geography of this, but if, you, if you're watching the show, Sinister is in between the fight that's happening outside, but facing away from the cave that he is in, that Gene and Scott are getting aware of their genetics mixed up or something, whatever's happening on those tables. Draining. Being yeah. drained. <laughs> and Morph is with Gene and Scott, like close to their side. So he comes to, he's holding a gun, so he decides to literally shoot a shot. Yep. And finds out that Sinister can like regenerate pretty quickly. But the important part is he had this little satchel on his side that was effectively the inhibitor collar control, and that is shot by Morph. So when that happens, Cyclops goes off, dude. Yeah. And it's a really cool moment for Scott because it's the first time you've really seen Scott unleash. <laughs> as much as we like to joke about Scott being a dick and fighting everybody, Scott goes for it, man. He is not worried if he's going to kill Sinister. I mm-hmm. genuinely believe like he was going for kill shots and it just so happens that Sinister is resilient enough to be able to take those because he's blasting holes through Sinister's abdomen and just this green goo is like shooting out and everything like that. Yeah, Sinister even goes to say like, what, this is impossible. Like he's so surprised that it's actually, it's not like Morph's gun where he can heal from it. Yeah. I wasn't quite clear on, I guess maybe because Cyclops' powers are organic or something that, or they're more powerful than that gun, I'm guessing. So it permanently damages Sinister. It's not that it permanently damages him. It just does more damage than what the Mm -hmm. blaster would do effectively. It's the first time we've seen him scared since he was introduced. Yeah. In the middle of this, there was a it was an interesting moment that maybe only I remember. the fast music sting. Yeah, yeah, okay. I well, you that noticed too. that too. Yeah. It, but it was like wasn't quite the theme song, but it was but like the, pieces of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's like maybe like a little bit of the baseline. It was just 
I don't know. I don't want to call Ron out on anything because he's a great guy. We work together. But I would not be surprised if he was like, I had a deadline and I just needed to like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they, they, they basically defeat Sinister. Sinister calls for the Nasty Boys to get in the ship and mm-hmm. they... They run off. You have this moment between Scott and Gene where they kind of have like what we're saying the well, we're not actually married. One of them says, uh, oh, but we're still married in our hearts. And it was like. And on paper. Yeah. And, and legally on paper. <laughs> Unless they didn't do that, which makes me hate Scott even more. Yep. Morph runs off grabbing the small ship. Lessons like take the vehicle that probably doesn't have a GPS on it. Yep. And you have Wolverine who's like, I got to go after him. He's mm-hmm. He's the only one who could ever make me laugh. Which I'm I'm happy to see a more vulnerable Wolverine, but with a cheesy fucking line to, yep. <laughs> to go on. But we don't end on the cheesy line. Mm-hmm. Thank we, God. We jump over to Magneto and Xavier crossing paths in Antarctica. And they're obviously both confused because it's like, well, why'd you bring me all the way here? And it's like, no, you called me to come down here. And there's, you know, there was language around the presence of something sinister afoot. And then an avalanche happens. Yeah. And I literally thought that was going to be a reveal of avalanche coming back. No, God, no. No avalanche. No avalanche. (laughs) But to be continued. Yep. So long episode, obviously, because we had a lot to talk about. Eric Leewold wanted to make sure that this season kicked off with a bang, obviously having a pretty epic moment of Scott and Gene not being married anymore, as well as bringing back Morph. And I don't think we talked about it in the previous episode. The reason why they needed to bring back Morph, it was a request of the network because when they were talking to kids, they found out that Morph was actually the most popular character, despite the fact he was only in one and a half episodes. Mm-hmm. So they, they ended up bringing him back. And, you know, there was definitely a little bit of pushback on that. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they they gave in because it was built on a good story moment, not mm-hmm. just something that felt forced. Yeah, it, de- it it felt organic. Like, I wouldn't have known had that not been documented that it was a request to bring him back. It seemed like a setup to, to bring him back. But it, that checks out my experience. I remember uh, at school at recess, we were all talking about how much we love Morph. So that... That research was accurate, at least in my experience. Yep. Cool. So I think, Rod, we are done on this episode. This was a, a long one. So have fun editing this. Right. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts for us here? No, this one was an improvement on all, all the things that we loved about previous episodes. It had a lot of drama, made sense, a lot of representative moments. And as much as I joked about the Telenova kind of vibe, at least it tracked. At least it wasn't like. There was con- continuity. It was it. it was clever how it happened. Yeah, yep. well, but also like it would have been really easy to lose the animations of Morph changing so many times through yep. the two episodes, and it all it works when you follow it. Yep. Cool. Well, we are going to wrap this episode up. Thank you guys for joining us. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them into the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post of this episode. Just so you know, the Instagram post is the one that has us having a random clip where Rod takes stuff out of context (laughs) and then we have to hopefully get people to tune in. And if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and other stuff at this point. Don't forget, there's a TikTok. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I guess there I have to do for one more There week. is a TikTok. Yeah. Don't go where you're not invited. I don't, how do you say that? <laughs>